If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And a sermon titled, The Church, Jesus' Building Campaign. Now, how many of you just get really, really giddy about building campaigns? You know, where we ask you to give money. Yeah, I don't see any hands. Well, it's going to be one boring message, isn't it? No, actually, that's not the point, but uh, uh, we, have, we are in the middle of a building campaign, and having finished one here just a few years ago, and actually in our last building campaign a few years ago, we actually took two buildings, the old and the new, and we joined them. Uh, this is how we uh, metaphorically and actually joined them. Uh, this is right at that point. That's actually the door back there in the fellowship hall you're looking at, and uh, that's how we started it. In our new campaign, we're going to make them one. That is, we're going, our attempt is, to, is not just to join them, but to see the two, the old and the new, become one. In order that, for that to happen, walls have to come down, demolition has to occur, new construction, the whole, to join the whole. We need to demolish walls, clean up. Drywallers are going to be needed, electricians, plumbers, technicians, sound and lighting specialists. And then the building will require hammers and saws and sheetrock and wood and windows and trim and metal and screws and nails and lots of people all in an effort to make one out of the two. And oh, by the way, we've hired a contractor who has promised to build this future renovation. Uh, the money part, however, is a little bit iffy. Okay, I mean, it's subject to change, you know, with time and, you know, building materials going up and all this kind of stuff. So why do I share that with you? Well, so that I can get you to give more. I'm, no, that's not why I shared it with you. Because in God's building program, here's the good news. When it comes to building the church, the whole church, the universal church of Jesus Christ, Father God has contracted one person to demolish sin and become the very cornerstone itself of the church, Jesus Christ. He, he has one solution needed to clean up all this mess that sin has caused, and that is the blood of Jesus. And one tool, and only one tool necessary to build the superstructure within which there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, and that is the mighty cross of Christ himself. And hey, let me give you one more thing. Here's the promise. The price will never change. The contractor has promised it. He said when he died, it is what? It's finished. That's the message in summation of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, where we left off. Here where Paul tells those among us who are in Christ, and I don't assume that you're all in Christ, are you watching online? But if you are in Christ, 
then he's going to encourage us to encourage you to remember your past. Relax in your peace and rejoice with your peeps or your people, however you want to put it, okay? So if you're in Christ, let's get right at it. Remember your past. Picking it up where we left off in verse 11. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, remember, there's our word, we'll see it again. At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, a derisive term that Jews would call Gentiles, uh, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. So this is a, the fact that he's reminding us that whatever God does that's permanent isn't done by hands. Okay? Remember, he says again, that you were, watch this, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What an indictment. What a past. Is that your past? Certainly mine. By the way, did you notice when uh, Corin and Mark were baptized and before them, uh, Mary and Greg, and after them, Paul and uh, Zach, tremendous testimonies today. Did you notice they first told a story? In every case, they told a story. They didn't just tell a story. They told their past story. Before they were in Christ. Because that's what made being in Christ so exciting. Amen? The hinge. The but now or but God part that we just heard. But look at these terms here, okay? Separated. Do you like being separated? Alienated. That word means to be excluded. Have you ever been excluded from something? Okay? It doesn't feel great, does it? I've never shared this story, but... I thought it would be appropriate after telling you about last week when I introduced my wife, Marilyn, as my fiancé many years ago to that first church. Uh, you know, they went, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over. They went nuts, you know. But they were all the older people that loved it. The younger people were not so as excited. They just, they didn't like to see my first wife so easily replaced. And so they weren't as giddy about it. In fact, it was so bad that one particular couple moved away, not because I got married to Marilyn, but because, you know, something called them away. And, that, and they were some of our dearest friends. And so there was a big party, a big farewell that was hosted at a home for their going away. And guess what? We didn't get invited. And, you know, I didn't want to be the guy, you know, sucking on sour grapes here. But I thought, what, what's the deal with this? So I went to the host who hosted the party, just personally, sidebar, I said, hey, I don't want to sound like a big whiny baby here, you know, the guy that didn't get invited, but these are like some of our best, is there a reason why you didn't invite Marilyn and I? And I'll never forget the tears in his eyes, and he said, pastor, I asked him to list all the people he wanted me to invite, and you guys weren't on the list. I can still remember the gut punch of that moment. I can still remember the profound sadness that I felt. Let me tell you something. If you are outside of Jesus Christ, you're off the list. And worse than that, you're separated from God. You are alienated from the life of God. Get on the list, amen? 
He says they're strangers of the covenant promises. Now, that's a direct allusion to the law, the Old Testament. Let me tell you something. The Old Testament Jew had some really cool stuff that most of us don't have. Here's how the, uh, the writer of Romans puts it, Paul. Paul puts it this. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This is what's, all, that's, all that is what's pregnant behind what Jesus said to the woman at the well. He said to the woman at the well, salvation is of the what? It's of the Jews. We thank God for the Jewish race. Amen. Our Savior was a Jew. He says, if you're not Jewish, you haven't heard this good news, you're a stranger. And he doesn't stop there. He just keeps piling it on. You are having no hope. Historians tell us that in the, fir- in the first century, a great spirit of hopelessness pervaded the world. It was a literal society of suicide. People were offing themselves left and right. Religion, philosophies, the cults were not lifting the veil of hopelessness. R. Kent Hughes called it the age of suicide. I thought, wow, what a, that's like today. Recently, the LA Times had, a, had an article titled, Signs of Depression Have Tripled Since COVID-19. Do you remember when your life was hopeless? I do. As I think about this, I remember last week, Michael Adrian, if you don't know him, you should, he gave his testimony at the Harvest Offering last week. It was just several years ago that I met him at that door, and I can tell you he's top three on my list of hopeless people I've ever met before they were in Christ. He was filled with drugs, filled with alcohol, filled with lies, filled with deceit, filled with thievery, and he was just, he was shaking, absolute broken mess, and today he's top three for men who have been radically redeemed by Jesus Christ, and he's filled with hope. Well, again, the piling on isn't over. He says, you're without God. And verse 13 says, you're far off. As I was reading this, I thought of my son John, who baptized in the first service. He's in this one, actually. And I reminded him just the other day of that conversation that took place about 11 years ago. We were sitting at a start. I asked me, do you remember that? Yeah, he remembered. I said, well, don't forget it. Because we were sitting at Starbucks. And I pled with him. He was so far from God. He was slumping back in the chair just like he did in the pew over here. No different. Starbucks, church, didn't matter. I said, John, you've got to turn back to God. You, you, you need to repent. You need to be saved. I'll never forget what he said. Dad, I'm saved. I'm just far from God. Well, let me tell you something. If I understand this passage right, if you're far from God, you're not saved. And he wasn't saved. He would still, as of yet, had not trusted Christ as Savior. Praise the Lord. He would trust the Lord, amen, and be changed. And he has a story to tell. And I said to him, John, don't forget that. Don't forget that moment where you were self-deceived. Because some of you are here this morning, and you're still self-deceived. You're far from God, and you're not. You are alienated. You are separated. You have no hope until you have it in Jesus. And let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul never forgot what God had done in his life. And the point, again, is remember your past. 
when we read of Paul's conversion in, in Acts chapter 9, and as I study the New Testament, I find no less than five times Paul gives his testimony in one way, shape, or form. More thoroughly, twice in the book of Acts, and three other times in the letters he writes to the churches. He gives his testimony. Why? Because he never wanted to forget his past, and nor should you or me. Listen, you have to think to be thankful. This is the Thanksgiving season. Remember that. You have to think to be thankful. God wants us to remember, not dwell, but remember our past. And so just the other day, I'm on the phone with a really sweet gal. Just met her a week or so earlier. Just coming to the church through a series of circumstances. Broken, hopeless, tearful, without God. But even in the course of our conversation on the phone, I praise the Lord because her heart is so open. She goes, I want whatever you have. She desires a new story and an old one to look back on. Do you? Some of you are still living in the old story. You need a new one. And when you get a new one, don't ever forget the past. Remember your past. Secondly, relax in your peace. Relax in your peace. You'll see that here because we're not just talking about a peace given to you. We're talking about the prince of peace who's in you. Look at verse 13. He's Remember, this cavalcade of awful stuff such as separated, alienated, strangers, no hope, without God, far off. Verse 13, but now. It's just like he said earlier, but God. Here he says, but now. Here's the hinge. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You can say amen. Watch verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Notice it doesn't say he gives you peace. It says he is your peace. Relax in your peace. Who has made us both one And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, Jew and Gentile, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, watch it, killing the hostility. Now listen, here's some murder that you and I can be a part of. Let's kill the hostility. Amen? There's hostility everywhere in our land, around the world. The only thing that will kill it is the cross of Jesus. Amen? And he came, verse 17, and preached peace to you. I love this. Who were far off. And peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, relax. In your peace, because Christ is your peace. Most of the new Christians in Ephesus were Gentiles. They were not Jews. So hence, you've got this whole business of the reference to Israel, the temple, and all of these things, the ordinances, the covenants, things they were separate from. And the word hostility is used not once but twice. Very strong word. It means exactly what comes to your mind. And just to show you, in the mindset of the Jew, the hostility, the, the animus, the, the hatred for the non-Jew. Non-Jews, for many Jews, a non-Jew's only purpose of existence was to fuel 
the fires of hell. To many Jews, you, another Jew is not to allow a pregnant Gentile woman in her birth because to help a pregnant lady give birth was to help to bring another enemy into the world. If a Jewish girl married a Gentile girl in many Jewish homes, a funeral was conducted that day. And finally, many with animosity amongst the Jews would pray every morning. And look what they'd pray. Oh God, I give thanks to you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. So you see the temple, look at verse 14. It says again, uh, he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now they would have pictured the complex on the temple mount, just as you're seeing now, and more particularly the, the sanctuary itself. And if you were familiar with if you or if you've looked at any schematics, you see that this whole thing screams separation, screams exclusivity, screams no more, keep out. In fact, closest to the Holy of Holies was, the, and, and you'd see it through a series of courts. There's the court of the priests. So that meant if you were a priest, you could be in this court. If you weren't a priest, keep out. And just descending a little lower was the court of men. This was another court, the men of Israel. Priest and men could go into that court. No women or other Israelites. And just below that was the court of women. Larger court. And if you were a Jewish woman, you could go in there and no more. And then just in front of the temple or the court of the women was a four and a half foot wall. All the way around its perimeter separating the court of women from the court, the much bigger court, of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile, like 99.9% .9 of us in this room, you would, you would be allowed to be in the court of the Gentiles, and that's as far. You'd be looking from afar and only hoping you could be close to the Holy of Holies. And it would never happen because the whole thing said, keep out. In fact, there was a sign. There's two of them we have in museums, and you're looking at one of them right now. In Greek, that basically says, if you're a Gentile, to go beyond this, this was on the four and a half foot, uh, foot wall separating the court of Gentiles from the court of women, it, to, to pass beyond this point, you do so on pain of death. In other words, you, you cross this border, we'll kill you. The whole thing, the whole religious system cried out, keep out. That's what turns on the phrase in verse 13, but now, <laughs> you that were far off are brought near through the blood of Jesus. Amen? So relax in your peace. This is the very passage that John Newton would have had in mind when he wrote his famous words. You can quote them with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now. But now I'm found. Was blind. Now I see. In Jesus, verse 14 says, He is our peace. Verse 15 says, He makes peace. And verse 17 says, He preaches peace. 
No wonder Romans 5 verse 1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the peacemaker. Amen? And that's why verse 15 says, and I want you to look at it again, Jesus created one new man in the place of the two, Jews and Gentiles, so making, say it, peace. And the word new up there, just look at that word. That's, there were two ways to say new in the Greek. There's the word neos, and there was the word kainos. Neos is the word, which we get a word neophyte, like a new, he's a, uh, it's new in time, younger, older kind of thing. But the word here is kainos, which means a new kind, a new kind. He's creating something brand new. He's not just adding on. He's not just tacking on like we do in buildings sometimes. This, he's creating something totally new. That's, what, that's the idea. This is the idea, like for instance, Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 9. Remember he said, he said uh, you know, you don't. You, you, always want, you don't want to put new wine into old wineskins. Remember that? So he, don't put new neos, uh, you know, uh, younger wine, which still has to ferment, into an old brittle wineskin because it'll blow up and all over the place, right? And Jesus said that. He didn't use the onomatopoetic expression, but something like that. He says you want to put new wine, neos, new wine, into new wineskins, new kainos. A new kind of wineskin, a wineskin that's, that's soft, supple, and can expand. And this is the idea in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are what? Kainos, new creation, brand new thing. Old things have passed away, all things have become, again, kainos. You're brand new. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, my church isn't an add-on, it's a whole new thing. And this is the idea, remember, when Jesus died at that point of death, we're told that the temple, Holy of Holies, the, tent, the, the veil rent was torn from top to bottom, thus giving us what? Access to God. No more separations. And this is what we say, relax in your peace. Christ has, has made, he himself is our peace, verse 14. So if you want peace, you don't need a religion, you need a relationship. You need to become a new creation. And finally, if you're in Christ, rejoice with your people. Look at the very end here. Oh, I love this, verse 19. It's so cool. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, which is exactly what they felt like before Christ. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? He's the cornerstone. We sing of this. In whom the whole structure, the whole superstructure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here's the last thing. If you're in Christ, you can rejoice with your people. We all know, no, I don't want to assume all, watching online, and, and some of you are not saved. I realize you're still outsiders. You're not on the list. But you should know that just before Jesus died, he prayed. In John 17, he said, God, Father, I want all of them who believe in me to be one like you and I are one. That was a beautiful prayer, and it will be realized. Can you imagine a prayer Jesus would pray that wouldn't be answered? 
Now, we can't be one with those who reject the gospel. We can't be one with those who add to the gospel. We can't be one with those who deconstruct the gospel. But we not only can be one with those who believe the gospel, whether you like it or not, you are one with them. You are family. I mean, just the other day, last week on Sunday, our kids pulled off a little ruse and they sent us on a little goose chase through town and we arrived at a building and here the entire family was there. And we have a built-in photographer, we're pretty good. And here's the picture that we took. There's 53 of us right there. Let me tell you something. If you're in Christ, your family's a whole lot bigger than that. And by the way, if you, try to, if you got a glimpse of that, everybody in that picture was white. Let me tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ is red and yellow, black and white, and they're all precious in his sight. Amen? It is the great family of God. And if you could just imagine, because it's still forthcoming, Imagine a scene in heaven where Father God is holding in his hand the title deed to the earth itself, having been taken over by the devil, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And who will take the deed and reclaim the earth? No one is found. Everybody's bawling their eyes out. You can read it for yourself. It's really in there in Revelation 5. And finally somebody says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy. He snatches the title deed out of Father God's hand and heads to earth to reclaim it. And what happens in that moment? I'll tell you what happens. They just explode and they cry out, you are worthy, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Hallelujah. That's what it's going to look like in heaven. I like that. I got just a little, just a modicum, just a, just a taste, an infinitesimal taste of this. When we opened up a new vein in Togo, West Africa, here's Doug and I standing out in front of a church. That's a, that dilapidated building is a church. And 60 of us got in there, worshiping and praising the Lord and singing together. And I got to preach. I couldn't understand what they were singing. I understand the tune, the melody. I didn't understand. But I can tell you this. One day I will. And I thought, this is going to be more like it. Verse 22 calls Jesus the cornerstone. The cornerstone, we sing about it, so you might as well know what a cornerstone is, right? A corner, the cornerstone is that place in the lower part of the building that binds the entire superstructure together. Pulls it together, and, and the cornerstone becomes the very frame of reference by which every other brick, every other stone is laid. And it's Jesus. Think about this. In Christ, there's neither Jews nor Arabs. Asians or Europeans, Africans or Americans, blacks or whites, Republicans and Democrats, vaccinated and unvaccinated. I had to throw that in there for what it's worth. Listen, according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, there are over 200 Christian denominations in the United States of America. 
But you need to know, in the mind of Jesus Christ, there's only one. He is the cornerstone. And we are the, build, we are the blocks set in perfect order as he builds his superstructure, his masterpiece, the church. And here's how Peter put it. Look at this. He said this. As you come to him, you got to love that. For, as you come to him, because that's what you have to do. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up. See that? The cornerstone, the superstructure built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And watch this, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. A what? A cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him. You won't be separated, you won't be isolated, you won't be alienated, and you won't be ashamed. But you got to believe. You have to believe. Do you? Because if you do, you can rejoice with the people of God. In World War II, There's a story of three British soldiers who were the best of friends. They were literally inseparable. During a battle, one of them was shot and killed. The two broken-hearted friends took their friend's body to the nearest town where there was a Catholic church. And in front of the church, there was a graveyard with a fence around it. You know, you've seen these scenes. And they knocked on the parsonage, and the priest came to the door, and they said, uh, they explained their situation. They had to get back to the battle, but could they? Would he be so kind as to allow them to bury their friend? The priest looked at him, and he said, well, was he Catholic? And they said, well, no, he was actually a Protestant. So they can't get buried in here. You have to bury him outside of the fence. So they went outside of the fence, found a place where they hastily dug a shallow grave and buried their compatriot and rushed back into battle. The next day, those two soldiers, wanting to do their brother justice, thought, let's go back and, and just honor his memory. So they came back. They came back to the church, and they walked around the perimeter. They walked around the entire perimeter. They could not find the grave they'd just dug the, night, the day before. So finally... They walked back up to the parsonage, and they knocked on the door, and they said, you know, sir, we're, we're sorry to bother you again, but, um, you know, per your instruction, we, we buried our friend right outside of the fence uh, yesterday, and uh, we can't find where we put him. And the priest said, I'm so glad you came back. He said, I felt so guilt-ridden after what I told you. I moved the fence. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ doesn't just move the fence. He takes it down. And he invites you in. If you come to him, if you come to him with no strings attached other than a repentant heart and believing his death, his burial, his resurrection for you, and you get put on the list. Oh, I have a confession to make. The picture that you saw of our family, 
There's 53 in our family. You know, it's hard to get us together. Only 52 showed up. We photoshopped one of them in. <laughs> if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God isn't going to photoshop you into the picture. He's going to put you into it because you'll be family. And therein you can rejoice forever. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful today for your word, for your masterpiece, the church, for the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus himself, by which this superstructure itself is still being built. And Lord, would you put another stone? Would you put another stone today in your superstructure, in your church? There's someone in this room. There are probably several in this room who have never trusted in Jesus. You're not on the list. In your mind, you'd say, well, I'm just far from God like John. But in reality, you don't know God. And if you're convicted by this, would you just, having heard the testimonies of Corin and Mark, would you just repent and believe the gospel today? Believe in Jesus Christ so that you can rejoice with the greater family. And if you are here as a Christian or watching online, don't ever forget your past. It is the very attitude and avenue of ongoing gratitude. Relax in your peace because it's not a peace that you have to conjure up. Christ himself is peace to you. And then just rejoice with the family of God because you'll go on doing that forever and ever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.